Father, we're so thankful for your presence. We're thankful for the Holy Spirit who is here. Holy Spirit, we, um, we recognize you because um, uh, you, are, uh, you are the Lord. The Bible says the Lord is that spirit. Uh, you are the Lord. Um, you are the one who proceeds from, from the Father. You who together with the Father is worshipped and glorified. We glorify you this morning uh, because you are the great teacher. You are the one that guides us into all truth. You show us things to come. So Holy Spirit, we give you your, your rightful place here today. Uh, we know the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Uh, so we look to the life of the Spirit today. Uh, that life that raises uh, an army out of a valley of dead, dry bones. That light that creates light in the midst of darkness. Let that be our experience today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, let's open our Bibles. Book of Malachi chapter 4. Uh, Malachi chapter 4, I've been talking about the spirit of restoration and uh, the season of restoration that we're in. And we, we drew our text from Acts chapter 3 verse 19 where Peter was speaking about the fact that once we come into alignment with God and what God is doing, we will experience times of refreshing which would lead to seasons or times of uh, restoration. Uh, so God has your restoration on his mind. Amen. And, and when you are restored, when you experience the restoration of God, uh, it always uh, leaves you in a, a state where you are much better than you have ever been. So, so look at your life right now and uh, understand that God's plan is that you would end up much better than you have ever been. Hallelujah. Much, you're going to experience uh, a, a greater dimension of the glory and the goodness of God more than you have ever done. Hallelujah. And so what we are doing, uh, having established the foundation, what we're doing now is looking at ways or areas where God is bringing restoration uh, so that we can come into alignment. Because alignment is important. Praise God. Okay, so we need to come into alignment. We need to come into alignment with God. Hallelujah. Now, now, Malachi chapter 4, verse 4, he prophesies and says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in horror for all Israel, with the statutes and judgment. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he, that is Elijah, will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. He says, before the Lord comes, I am going to send Elijah. And Elijah will restore the heart of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Now, in Matthew 17... Um, Jesus was speaking um, about John the Baptist. And if you look at Matthew 17, verse 11, you don't need to turn to it. But, but in that passage, uh, the, the, they were inquiring that, you know, before the Lord comes, Elijah is meant to come. And, and Jesus said, effectively, that Elijah has come and will come. Okay? So he was speaking about John the Baptist as, as coming in the Spirit and in the power of Elijah, and as you know, John the Baptist came to prepare the way of the Lord, did he not? Okay, in fact, in, in Luke chapter 1, when Gabriel appeared to the father of John the Baptist, Zechariah, and was talking about this child he was going to have, uh, in Luke 1.17, the angel Gabriel said to Zechariah, he said, he, that's his son, John, will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. In the spirit and power of Elijah. So this is not a reincarnation. This is somebody coming in the spirit and power of Elijah. And then he says how he will come in the spirit and power of Elijah. He says to return or to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. 
So before the Lord comes, there must be a preparation. And John the Baptist, in the spirit and power of Elijah, came to prepare people for the coming of the Lord. Yeah? Now, before the Lord came the first time, somebody had to come in the spirit and power of Elijah. Before the Lord comes again the second time, there is going to be a restoration of the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers. Before the Lord comes, there needs to be a restoration of this ministry. There needs to be a restoration of this ministry. And the result of that ministry is going to be the hearts of people being changed. The hearts of children turning to their fathers and the hearts of fathers turning to their children. Now the reason why it's a restoration is because it is necessary. Because he says before the Lord comes, this has to happen. So this thing I'm talking about has to happen. Say to your neighbor, it has to happen. Now, the reason why it's a restoration is because right now, it is not prevalent, but it will become prevalent. You say, where is he going with this? Just hang with me. Okay? It is not prevalent, but this is necessary for what God wants to do. There has to be a restoration of this spirit and power. And the result is that the hearts of the children will be turned to their fathers, and the hearts of the fathers will be turned to their children. You see, we live in such an independent era. It is as though growth is marked by how little you need others. You know, abroad, in fact, once you turn 18, the celebration of your entry into adulthood is that you leave your father's house and have your own place. That is how, you know, I'm an adult now, so I can have my own place. So it's like growth is celebrated as um, independence, living home. People are celebrated for being self-made men. And not only do we celebrate them, but through that celebration, we send a signal to the next generation to stand on their own. We consider those who look to others to be weak, to be dependent, and to be insecure. But the Bible is saying that before the Lord comes, there is going to be a restoration of certain things, and children's hearts are going to be turned to their fathers again, and fathers' hearts are going to be turned to their children again. I mean, even right now, you know, even parents are waiting for their kids to turn 18 so they can push them out. But he's saying that as the, the way is being prepared for the Lord to come, you are going to see a restoration. There's going to be a restoration to godly inheritance. We are entering into a phase where there will no longer be independent ministries independent congregations and independent lives. There is going to be a restoration to godly inheritance. Fathers will prepare inheritance for their children and children will look back to the inheritance of their fathers. You know, rather than each person starting a new path each time, the next generation will stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before. And those who are building today, we build with a vision that goes beyond time. They will build with a vision that goes beyond their lifetime. They will build with a vision that lays a foundation for the next generation and they will make sure the next generation can walk in their legacy before they hand things over to them. He said, before I come, there is a new spirit that is going to be prevalent. It is a spirit of restoration. It is a spirit of restoration. You know, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 6 verse 16, 
It says, then says the Lord, stand in the ways and see. Stand in the ways and see. And ask for the old paths where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. Will not walk in it. You know, the ancient paths are the tracks that have been well worn by those that have gone before. He says, there is a path that will, where you will find rest for your soul. And that path is called the ancient path. Hallelujah. The ancient paths. Because you see, our lives are not meant to be independent. Your life is connected to the past and connected to the future. There are resources that have been prepared from the past for you to take advantage of. Oh, I'm going to say that again. There are resources that have been prepared for you in the past that were prepared for you to take advantage of. And there are resources that God wants you to prepare that others should depend on. You know, years ago I had an Indiana Jones dream. Okay? You know Indiana Jones. Okay? Good. I had an Indiana Jones dream. I was there complete with my hat and my, you know, my safari attire. And I, was a, and I was in a thickly dense, a very dense forest with my hat and cutlass. And I was, I was creating a new path. I was creating a path through this dense forest. And you know, yes, we're going to create new paths in this time. But only after we have explored the old pathways, we must first walk in the inheritance of the fathers before we will be granted the privilege of laying new tracks for the next generation. Hallelujah. Because there's an inheritance that has been laid for you. You know, in Jude verse 3, Jude made this statement. He said, behold, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you, exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once delivered to all the saints. He says, I want you to contend for something that is already passed, that belongs to you. Contend for something. To contend means uh, you're going to fight against certain things. But he's saying that there is an inheritance that has already been prepared for you that I am, I am writing this so that you don't get disconnected from it. Don't feel that you need to create a new path. No, there is something that has already been laid for you that, that you need to contend for. Hallelujah. Because he says that the common faith was once for us delivered to the saints. You know, concerning the faith, we don't modernize the faith. Yes, we can express it in modern language, but it was delivered complete. It was delivered what? The faith was delivered complete. Hallelujah. Thank you for the multifaceted wisdom of God. But when it comes to the elements of our common faith, it was delivered complete. But he said, don't get disconnected from it. Don't feel you need to create a new path. No, go back to the original because there is a substance that has been prepared for you. Don't live under an illusion of independence. Hallelujah. You know, in the book of Psalms, chapter 16, verse 6, the psalmist said, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. But you know that's not the end of that verse. It says the, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Yes, I have a good inheritance. The reason why life is easier for me 
is because I have reconnected with my inheritance. Hallelujah. Life is always easier for the person who has an inheritance. All right? Because you are starting, you know, if everyone else was starting a 100-meter race, you, you know, uh, like I heard John Maxwell say that, you know, I, I, he said he can, he can, he can uh, win any 100-meter race. And everyone looked at him thinking, he said, even if I'm running against Usain Bolt, I can win a 100-meter race against Usain Bolt. And we all looked at him like, okay, so what are you talking about, sir? Because if you've seen John Maxwell, he is, he's not uh, a fit-looking fella. But he said, you know what? When Usain Bolt starts, uh, by the time he gets to the end, I will, I will cross the finish line before him if I start at the 80-meter mark. Uh-huh. Now you can see how that would work, right? So somebody that has a, a good inheritance, the reason why the paths are fallen in pleasant places is because an inheritance gives you a head start. Oh, come on. Are you listening to me this morning? A, a good inheritance gives you a head start in the race. Gives you a head start in the race. An inheritance is a substance of grace. An inheritance is always substantial. Is it not? But when you enter into an inheritance, what you are doing is where others have labored, you enter into the substance of their labor by grace. Hallelujah. Somebody has labored for it and they have left it for you. You, you don't have to labor for an inheritance. What you are meant to do is you are meant to enter into that inheritance and your labor will now take you further than they have ever been. That is the way it's meant to work. You are connected to the past and others are connected to you. We are entering into an era where there is no more independence. Where we are being connected to our inheritance and we are preparing our inheritance for the next generation. Look at Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to read the first couple of verses there. And then we'll jump down to verse 32. Because I've got ground to cover this morning. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. It says, for by it the elders obtained a good testimony. Now let us skip down to verse 32. Because between verses 3 and 32... He begins to talk about all these different elders. And then in verse 32 he says, And what more shall I say? For the time will fail me to tell you of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead, raised to life again. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains, in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, having obtained a good testimony. Now, of course, it says all the elders obtained a good testimony. It says all these having obtained a good testimony through faith, did not receive the promise, God having provided something better for us, that they should not be made perfect apart from us. Now the NIV puts it this way. It says, these were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us 
so that they, so that only together with us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. God planned that they will not complete their ministry apart from us. God planned that only together with us will they be made perfect. The word perfect is a Greek word teleos, which speaks about complete, which says, which speaks concerning completion or accomplishment or consummation. In other words, all these elders that had gone before, God had ordained that they would not complete their ministry without us. Now, they may have completed the assignment God gave them for their time, but their ministry cannot be completed without us. This means that there is a substance they have produced from their spiritual labor, which is available for us to walk in. They walked in a dimension of it, but they did not take it to heaven with them. That substance is available as an inheritance of grace for us to begin with. And any fruit we produce that comes from that inheritance is going to be part of their fruit in the earth. Hallelujah. It's going to be part of their fruit in the earth. You you see, God thinks generationally. He thinks generationally. And I'm going to establish that this morning because it's important that we understand that there is an inheritance that has gone before. There is labor that others have labored and they have provided a substance of their labor that you and I are destined to connect with by grace and enter into the riches of that substance. And that is why chapter 12 verse 1 begins this way. It says, therefore, we also, seeing that we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin that so easily besets us. So we see this continuity. We see the elders. We see their ministry. We see their labors. We see what they worked in as a result of their labor. And then we see that we are part of the same ministry. So they have left their substance for us to walk in. And the Bible says that now that they are in heaven, we are surrounded with this cloud of witnesses. Hallelujah. Now let me ask you a few questions. Now imagine that you have this cloud of witnesses in heaven. How do you think they will feel about us? Seeing that we are part of their ministry that they left for us to fulfill... And that we are part of their fruit in the earth. Do you think they will be rooting for us in any way? They would, wouldn't they? Do you think that if there was any way they could help us, they would get involved and help us? Now, now there's something I want to share on for about five minutes. And I'm not going to to, um, go in depth in this area. Because that's not the subject of today. But but you see, there is an interaction between earth and heaven. That a lot of times we have... um, We have left to the side. There's an interaction. There's a dynamism between earth and heaven that is destined for us. And there's an an interaction level with this cloud of witnesses that a lot of us have left to the side. Now, I'm not advocating praying to Elijah or anyone like that. But but there are some dimensions. Look at um, John chapter 3 verse 13 uh, real quick. As I take a five-minute side journey, look at John chapter 3, verse 13. We're talking this morning about restoring the hearts of the children to the fathers and the fathers to their children. Jesus said, no one has ascended to heaven, but he who has come down from heaven, that is the Son of God, who where? Is in heaven. It says, no one has ascended to heaven, But he who came down from heaven. Now, who is the one that came down from heaven? Jesus. Okay. That is the son of man who is in heaven. Now, 
I mean, I thought he just came, he had come down from heaven. But he says he has come down from heaven, but he is still in heaven. Now, how is that possible? He is on earth, but he is in heaven. You see, you are a spiritual being. And Jesus was essentially saying that I, I, I am on earth, but I have a un, I'm in union with my father. There is no distance in the spirit. Now, that is a concept that we, we cannot understand unless we step outside the sphere of the limitation of time. There is no distance in the spirit. So he's saying that just as I am on earth, I am in dynamic interaction with heaven. I am on earth, but I'm in heaven. I am on earth, but I'm in heaven. Now look at what Ephesians chapter 1 verse 20 says. Speaking about Jesus again, talking about what, the, what God did, verse 19 says, exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead, and seated him at the right hand in heavenly places, far above all principalities and powers and might and every dominion that is in this, uh, every name that is named, not only in this world, but, it, but in the world to come. So Christ has been raised and is now seated at the right hand of God where? In heavenly places. So Jesus raised from the dead was seated at the right hand of God in heavenly places, right? Look at the next chapter in Ephesians um, chapter 2, verse 4 says, But God who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved, and raised us up, where? Together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So Jesus was raised and seated by the right hand of God in heavenly places. The Bible says that when you were raised in Christ, you are raised together with him and you are seated together in him in heavenly places. So even though you are on earth, the Bible says that you are actually in heavenly places. Which means that as a spirit being, you can have a dynamic interaction with heaven because you are in heaven. Okay, yes, well, this is not metaphorical, this is literal. You know, I learned many years ago that when you have an SLR camera, you know an SLR camera, these new cameras that have, a, you know, adjustable lens, etc. If you look through an SLR camera, there's so much in the, in the viewfinder, in the lens. There's so much that the lens captures. But you can determine what you focus on. Yeah? Especially if you have like, an, like maybe 18 to 240 uh, lens. Uh, you, you can focus on things that are close. You can focus on things that are far. But from the same lens, all you need to do is adjust the lens. And what you are not aware of, you suddenly become aware of, it because it's still in the scope of what your viewfinder can see. Now what the Bible is teaching is that even though you are on earth, your viewfinder is focused on the things of the earth, but you can adjust this lens in such a way that you become aware of another reality that is still within the scope of what you can see. Because the Bible says that you have been raised up in him in heavenly places. You can have an interaction with heaven. You can have an interaction with the spirit of God. You can have an interaction even with spiritual witnesses. Chandai. I mean, at the mouth of transfiguration, did not Jesus have an interaction with Elijah and Moses? Was it not a real interaction? Did they not communicate? Did they not convey information? Did he not receive substance from above? The Bible says that those who have gone before have left an inheritance and God has ordained that we ca they cannot complete their work without us. There's a vital connection. Let us move on from there. Let us move on from there. So the question is, what inheritance are you connected to that you are ignoring in trying to be self-made? What inheritance are you connected to that you are ignoring because they have told you that you need to be a self-made man? The Bible says that the Spirit of God in this time is restoring us to our inheritance. 
Look very quickly at Genesis 26. I'm going to jump around a little bit. But um, when you get home, you can go through this, the whole chapter yourself. In verse 1, it says there was a famine in the land. Besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. This is the days of Isaac. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I tell you. There's so much that we can say about that. But you know, sometimes when there's pressure, we want to go to Egypt. Because we don't understand that we have a father and we have an inheritance. You know, the, the pressure of famine will make you think about going to Egypt. And the Lord said to Isaac, don't go to Egypt. Go to the land that I tell you. Verse 12, it says, Then Isaac sowed in that land and reaped the same year hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him in that land. Verse 18, and Isaac dug again the wells of water which they had dug in the days of Abraham his father. For the Philistines had stopped them up after the death of Abraham. He called them by the names which his father called them. Verse 24. And the Lord appeared to him the same night and said, I am the God of your father Abraham. Do not fear for I am with you. I will bless you and multiply your descendants for my servant Abraham's sake. Now, now, now you see pressure. He's thinking about, you know what, let me go to Egypt. God says, don't go to Egypt. Go to the place where I tell you. And then the Lord led him to certain wells, wells that his father had dug. And he redug the same wells. He redug the same wells. And then God blessed him in that place. And then God said to him, I am the God of your father Abraham. I will bless you and I will multiply your descendants after you. You see that God is a generational God. You see that the success of Isaac was hinged on him going back to understand his ancestry and redig wells that had been dug before. And he understood that in the passage of time, his life was not just about himself, but God wanted to do something that connected him not just with the past, but also with the future. Hallelujah. Has it ever have you ever wondered, why is it that when God introduces himself, he introduces himself to some people as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. In fact, right here, he says, I am the God of your father, Abraham. Why does God introduce himself that way? What he was trying to say was that your ancestor labored and entered into an inheritance and that inheritance belongs to you. The blessing of your fathers, the way I blessed your father Abraham, it wasn't just for him, it was also for his descendants after him. And because I am the God of your father, I am also your God, the inheritance that Abraham left was not just for Abraham, it was for you as well. Hallelujah. You know, when God was introducing himself to Cornelius, he didn't say, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. <laughs> are you with me? He said, go to Peter, he will tell you how to connect. Uh, are you with me? But, but whenever God was speaking to an Israelite, when he was speaking to somebody that had an inheritance, had a legacy, 
he, he let them know that, you see, there is something available to you. I blessed your father with it. But when I blessed your father, it wasn't just for him. I had you in mind as well. So you can connect to the same blessing that belongs to your father. Because the things that he has labored in are now available to you as a substance of grace. Hallelujah. And that is why Paul went through great pains to explain to us in Galatians chapter 3 verse 29. He said, if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's seed and heir according to the promise. So anything that was stated in scripture as an inheritance and a legacy for the children of Abraham legitimately belong to you as a substance of grace. I am the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. What he left was left for you. And I'm going to extend it through you to your generations after you. Hallelujah. God is a generational God. You know, the devil has done a number on us. So that rather than celebrating our inheritance, we distance ourselves. Because, you know, I want to do my own thing. We distance ourselves. Or we only think about inheritance in the negative perspective. You know, oh, people in my family are angry people. That's why I inherited. Or they have failed marriages. Or cancer runs in my family. Or everyone in my family dies at 40. That's not an inheritance. That is a curse of darkness. And in Christ, you are separated from that. In Christ, you are separated from that. An inheritance is always a substance of grace. Always. It is always a good and perfect gift. Always. Hallelujah. That's what an inheritance is. It's always a good and perfect gift. You know, in Judges chapter 6 verse 12, when the angel of the Lord appears to Gideon, and the angel said to Gideon, Gideon, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon said, you know, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? Where are all the miracles which our fathers told us about? Saying, did not the Lord bring us out from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hand of the Midianites. You see, the angel of the Lord came to reconnect Gideon to his ancestral inheritance. You see, there's an inheritance for you that the angel of the Lord is coming to reconnect you to. I said there's an inheritance for you that the angel of the Lord is coming to reconnect you to. You know, there's a cultural heritage that we must celebrate. Hmm, coming closer now. There's a cultural heritage. You see, a cultural heritage is not a bad thing. In fact, it is a good thing. There's a cultural heritage we must celebrate. There is fruitfulness. There is a fruitfulness to that connection that we must embrace. Uche, I will say to you by the Holy Ghost that there is a fruitfulness to your inheritance as an ego man that you will enjoy as you embrace the fruit of that heritage more and more. You know, my wife Anita, her dad is Larry Williams. Larry Williams in the, was it 70s, <clears throat> 80s, Cockrad Dawn, yeah? A great artistic, a great actor in Nigeria, wasn't he? Now, he made several wrong choices. And, you know, for a while, Anita used to deny that she didn't celebrate that connection because of his wrong choices. But you see, she now began to notice that the more she denied that connection, she could not deny that connection without, without denying the creativity in her family. Mm -hmm. Those whom this applies to will understand what I'm saying. 
Yeah? Because sometimes, because of the negative elements of our ancestry, we want to deny the whole thing, but in our hearts, we begin to deny the, the, the blessing of God that came through that heritage. Yeah? And there is no way you can separate both. You, you, you see, you can reject the bad choices and the evil as the hand of darkness, but you can see what God has done through your heritage and embrace that. Because there is a fruitfulness that God has, has ordained for your life that is hinged in those wells of your fathers. You know, I used to hate being called Pastor Bimbo's brother. Because, you know, I, I, you know sometimes people don't even want to know your name. Say, oh, it's Pastor Bimbo's brother. And I used to resent that because I, like, I want to be my own man. Mm-hmm. Chandai. But you know, there is, a, there is a family heritage. There's a family inheritance that I have to embrace. Hallelujah. Because my life is not only connected to the present, it is connected to the past and it is connected to the future. Hallelujah. And as I embrace that family heritage and I embrace that the, the God of my fathers is the God of Pastor Bimbo and I'm connected to that grace. There is, there, is a, there is an anointing that flows into my life as a result of it. You know, just like my brother preaching. And you know, sometimes people say, or think it's nepotism that he's heading the community, you know. And the other day I came up and I saw him minister the word and I thought, wow. What an anointing of God. But there's something in the family. It's a family heritage. It's a family legacy. Hallelujah. And we must embrace that. We must embrace that. You know, I bumped, well, I say I bumped into a brother in the bank. You know, there's nothing like bumping into someone is a divine connection or divine appointment. And this was just last week. And, um, you know, I was in the bank on a Monday morning and we bumped into each other. And we're just talking about business. And um, <clears throat> and was talking about some of the challenges um, he has had, uh, you know, in this climate. And you know, of course, everybody understands that, you know. And then he mentioned that you know now, you know that what he's doing is he is. Um, so he said, what he's doing is that he has now gone back to his father's farm, and his father has quite a few hectares, and he's now working that farm. But, but, you know, when he was communicating that, there was something in the communication that, that sounded like, you know, I'm just sort of um, managing this one. You know, because of the challenges here, I am having to do this. And I said, no, 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 my brother. The Lord has helped you reconnect with your family heritage. There is a legacy that your father has left. And now you have entered into that legacy. You are going to have challenges in that industry, but you are going to take it further than your father has ever taken it. Do you understand? Rather than drawing back from our heritage because we are trying to create a new path, it is important to understand that there is a legacy that has been left. There is a substance of grace that has been left that God has ordained for you to stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before and carry further. Hallelujah. This is the season of restoration. Where the hearts of children are being reconnected to their fathers. The ancient paths is where the good way is. I said the ancient paths is where the good way is. Let us look very briefly at the ministry of Elisha. The ministry of Elisha. You see the call of Elisha was a divine call, yeah? It was a divine call. In fact, when Elijah went to Mount Carmel and, you know, was complaining to God that, you know, everyone, I'm the only one that's serving you. And the Lord said to him in 1 Kings 19 verse 16, I'll read it real quick. The Lord spoke to him in Carmel and said to him, anoint Jehu, grandson of Nimshi, to be king over Israel, and anoint Elisha, son of Shaphath 
from the town of Abel Mehola to be prophet, to replace you as my prophet. Now, Elijah did not know Elisha. The Lord spoke to him and said, there's a man, and he had to introduce him, uh, Elisha to him and tell him where he was. Elisha, there's a man called Elisha. He's the son of Shaphat. He's from the town of Abel Mehola. He is to replace you as my prophet. Now, Elisha was a businessman. The prophetic mantle as the prophetic voice over Israel will pass from Elijah to Elisha. Where Elijah stopped was where Elisha was meant to start. He said he is going to stand in the office of prophet over Israel in your place. Hallelujah. So while Elisha was doing his business, he did not recognize or understand that there was already a substance of grace that had been made available to him to walk in. He didn't know. While he was doing his business gradually, God had made a provision for him. Hallelujah. I said God has made a provision for you. God has made a provision for you. You don't have to find your own path. Hallelujah. There's a provision that has already been made. Now look at what happens. I need to look at um, 1 Kings 19 verse 19. So he departed from there. That's Elijah from Carmel and found Elisha the son of Shaphat who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. People normally plow with one yoke of oxen. He had 12. So he's doing okay. All right. And he was with the 12th. Then Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, Please, let me kiss my father and my mother that I may follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I, to do? What have I done to you? So Elisha turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen, slaughtered them, and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment, and gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. He arose, he followed Elijah, and became what? His servant. You see, understand this, that what God has for you will begin in the hands of others. What God has for you is going to start, not with you, but it currently resides in the hands of others. It resides in the hands of others. God prepared a legacy for Elisha. And Elijah came to him and threw his mantle on him. And Elijah said, oh, let me do this, let me do that. And Elijah, Elijah said, listen, 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 dude, I have nothing to do with you. What, whatever you want to do is what you want to do. The choice, the decision to follow and to serve is always ours. Hallelujah. Elijah made that decision that he would follow Elijah and serve Elijah. Whatever God has for you currently resides in the hands of another. You know, when it was time, and there's a principle here that we need to learn. Look at 2 Kings chapter 2 verse 9. Fast forward to when it was time for Elijah to depart. And real quick, I'll give you the you know, short version. Verse 9 of 2 Kings chapter 2. It says, and so it was when they crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, ask what may I do for you before I am taken away from you. Elisha said, please let a, a double portion of your spirit be upon me. So he said, you have asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me, if you see me when I am taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so for you. Now, this incident happened after Elisha had followed Elijah faithfully. He had served Elijah faithfully. And then uh, in Gilgal, they had gone to Bethel and then Jericho and then the Jordan. Um, and then Elijah asked him this question, what can I do for you? So Elijah said to Elisha, you will have an inheritance when you see me. 
Now, I believe that there are two principles here that all of us can learn from. Number one is recognize the divine connections in your life. Because what the Lord has for you is currently in the hands of somebody else. Whether it's ministry or in business, what the Lord has for you is in the hands of somebody else. Recognize the divine connections in your life and then follow those influences faithfully, a faithful, close followership. You know, as a minister, I, I can use ministerial examples. You know, the ministries of Reinhard Bonke. Anyone ever heard of Reinhard Bonke? Reinhard Bonke, Benny Hinn, Joel Osteen. Now, you see, these are great ministries. I have a deep respect for all of these ministries, but I have no desire for any of them. You know, somebody recently said, oh, you know, Benny Hinn is coming into town. I, I have some, you know, some seats. I can give you a VVIP tickets. And I was like, yeah, great, praise God. I'll watch it on, you know, streaming. You know, I, I didn't have a desire there. You know, it is important for you to recognize the, desire, the divine connections in your life. It is God that is at work within you, both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Yeah? God is working in you. Recognize where God is at work within you. And the Lord is going to supernaturally connect you with your Elijah. He's supernaturally going to connect you with resources and people that have what he has prepared for you. You need to begin by recognizing those divine connections. You don't want to miss those connections. You know, sometimes we go on a fruitless detour, an arduous path, because we miss the day of our visitation and we want to do things our own way. It's a little bit like Esau, who missed the substance of his inheritance, which he was designed to receive from his father. You know, I don't remember the first time somebody gave me a Kenneth Hagin book. I don't know. I can't remember who gave me that Kenneth Hagin book. But, you know, I read that Kenneth Hagin book and it changed my life. And, and as I read the book, I knew there was something here for me. I can't explain it. But it seemed as though this book was calling out something in my inner man. Yeah? It was calling something out from inside me. I had, to, I had to begin to devour all his material, all his books, all his tapes. I became a close follower of Kenneth Hagin. I preached his sermons. I could tell you where he was born and when he was born and when he received his healing and how he received his healing. There was something that was working in me that was in this ministry and I didn't know what was going on but I knew that I had to follow it closely. I remember times when I was, I was getting ready to go and preach the word. And you know, of course, the only messages I had were Kenneth Hagin messages. So I would listen to the message before I go and preach. And for some reason, I would lay my hand on this tape player, not CD player, tape player at the time. I'll lay my hands on the tape player as he was preaching the word. And I would feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit upon me. Now, now I can't, I, you see, this is not a Harvard Business School explanation. I'm telling you spiritual things here. I would feel the presence of God upon me. Can you imagine if the mantle is a type of the Holy Spirit? Can you imagine how Elisha felt when Elijah threw his mantle on him temporarily? So it was as though I, I was entering into something that Hagen had and I was sort of borrowing it. Are, are you with me? Oh, come on. You, you can hear it was like I was borrowing it, and I'll borrow it, and I'll borrow it. Now, I have entered into my own, but it is not my own. It, it has within it a legacy of those who have gone before. You know, over the period of my life, there's different places that the Lord has connected me to. Pastor Bob Yandian, my pastor, where I got ordained. There was a guy that the Lord connected me to for a while. He was an Orthodox bishop, Veron Ash. I would begin, there was something in that ministry that, that, um, that was calling to something in my inner man. It was in 1997, 20 years ago, 
that somebody gave me a photocopy of the final quest by Rick Joyner. And it called out something on the inside of me. And I knew there was something here I had to follow. 20 years later, we are dynamically connected to him and to his ministry. What am I saying? There is an inheritance that God has for you. Number one, you must, you must discern the divine connections God has placed in your life. And you must honor them. Hallelujah. If you do not honor the connection God has for you, nothing can flow. Nothing can flow. I don't care if it's business. I don't care if it's ministry. If you do not honor the connections. And when I say honor, I'm not talking about bowing down and carrying their Bible. Yeah? I am talking about in your heart, recognizing that this is something God has placed in your life for a reason. Are you with me? And there is a legacy that he has for you. Hallelujah. And he wants their ceiling to be your floor. You know, that is what God is doing. He wants their ceiling to be your floor. Hallelujah. And, and, and there is something that is meant to flow into your life. But Elijah said to Elijah, unless you see me when I am taken, this double portion that you want, and double portion is anointing of sons, this double portion that you desire is not going to flow in your direction. Hallelujah. You know, I'm not beholden to people. But I recognize, I try to recognize the relationships that God has connected me to. And to honor those relationships. Not to take them lightly. Hallelujah. Recognize that they are here for my blessing and my benefit. And I recognize that any blessing in my life has come from somewhere. And I can tell you where it has come from. I can tell you where it has come from. Hallelujah. Do you know that when Elijah was taken up, and Elisha saw him, he said, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel, and the horsemen thereof. And when he left with that mantle, the first thing he said when he got to God, the Jordan, was where is the God of Elijah? Hallelujah. Elijah was not his natural father. But he recognized that I am connected to this ancestry by divine call. Hallelujah. And through his faithfulness, the thing that God ordained for him flowed from Elijah into Elisha. And if you study after Elisha, you will see that he did twice as many things that Elijah did. Hallelujah. Even after Elijah was taken up, he was always referred to as the servant of Elijah. It wasn't a thing of embarrassment. It was a thing of pride. Hallelujah. I am connected to those who have gone before. I stand on the shoulders of those who have gone before me. You know, honor your father and mother is the first commandment with a promise. You know, if you are connected to this church, recognize the operation of the divine in your placement here. Otherwise, your heart will remain closed. And you will judge everything that is said and done with a critical spirit. Hallelujah. You will judge everything with a critical spirit. Why is that? Why is that? Why is that? Why is that? Because you do not recognize that God has placed you here. Because he wants to plant something in your life. And he wants to usher you. He wants you to take off from here into his high purpose. But there is something here that he has ordained for you to receive. And you will only receive it when you recognize a divine placement. And you honor and bless that association. Hallelujah. The things that God has for you begin in the hands of other people. Other people. That's why Joshua, the Bible says Joshua was filled with the spirit of wisdom because Moses had laid his hands on him. But you know that that was after close followership. He followed them. It's not just some some arbitrary, someone just lays hands on you. No. There, there's something. There's a, there's a divine connection that even brought you there in the first place. It's not some kind of positioning. No. You, you, you connect with it. You, you recognize in your heart that this industry I'm in, there's something about it. Hallelujah. There's something about it. And then, you, and then he connects you with somebody that, that, that is like flowing by supernatural operation. He just connects you with that person. Now, the person might have their own weaknesses and all that, but you recognize that this is the connection of God. It doesn't matter if they are Pharaoh or they are Nebuchadnezzar. 
Or if they are as corrupt as the world, mm -hmm. the Lord can place you in certain places. And you recognize that this is by divine placement. And you are just there. And you are humbling and you are listening. And you are drawing. You reject, reject the things that are evil. And you lay hold on the things that are good. And you stay. And you, you are faithful. Hallelujah. And there will be that transfer. And people will wonder, how did you get this far? The overnight success. They don't know that there have been years of recognition of the connection and faithfulness in it. Paul said to Timothy, stir up the gift that is in you that has been, that has come by the laying on of my hands. But then prior to that, he called Timothy his faithful son. There was a closeness. There was something about the ministry that God had called Paul to, that he had called Timothy to, and he had connected Timothy, and Timothy connected. He recognized the call, and he drew from it. Praise God. Praise the Lord. I really need to stop here. But God is turning the hearts of children back to their fathers. He's turning the hearts of children back to their fathers in this day of restoration. He's turning your heart back to your ancestors. You know, there's a book that I have in my office. I bought this book in 1984. Some of you were not born in 1984. And... Um, I know there is something about this book and something about the ministry of the man that wrote this book that the Lord wants me to walk in. I know it. I have held that book since 84. I begin to read it. And at some point, I just feel, no, it's not time. And I go back, I read it again. Every few years, I read it. But I know that there is something the Lord wants me to walk in. And the secret is in that book. I know it. I know it. I know it with all my heart. I carry that book everywhere I go. If I'm moving house, that's the first book I take. I don't care about this, this stuff. There is something about my life, about my inheritance, because your life did not begin when you were born. Hallelujah. The plan of God did not begin when you got saved. Father, we give you thanks for the word of God. We give you thanks because the entrance of your word gives light and it gives understanding to the simple. Thank you, O oh God. For this time of restoration in which we stand. Hallelujah.